0: We welcome those of you joining us from upstairs in our modern sanctuary. Thanks for being here today. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. We also welcome those of you watching online or listening to our podcast. Of course, those of you who are here in our traditional sanctuary. Uh, it's good to be one church with serving one God in uh, multiple ways. We all connect to God through different styles of worship, but we are one unified church with one message today. And that comes to us from our sermon series called Summer Sounds, in which we are looking for Bible truths in the songs that we loved. we've looked at country songs and rock and roll songs we've looked at churchy uh, hymn songs and so we continue in that series today Uh, we have a lot of uh, exciting things for you later in the service as we're going to sing our song of the week and we'll get to that in just a minute but again glad that all of you are here today my mother uh, retired is staying in pretty good shape and she does that a lot of times by exercising she walks all over the neighborhood where she lives in greensboro north carolina and uh, stays in in really good shape, and she also gets to know a lot of her neighbors. She knows all the kids' names who live in her neighborhood, and if somebody's out of town, she'll watch their house to make sure, you know, nothing's going on there that shouldn't be going on, and she was walking around the neighborhood the other day, and she noticed that one of her neighbors who was out of town had a delivery. Someone had left them a big bouquet of flowers on their front porch, Uh, And it was kind of a windy, kind of stormy day, so she made a note that when she got home, she would text them and just say, hey, you you got this delivery, and she got home, and before she could text, they actually texted her saying, it looks like we have a delivery at our house. They must have one of those ring cameras on their doorbell. You know, a lot of us have that, and it shows anyone who comes to your house or what's going on, and so my mom's neighbor said, could you go and get the bouquet of flowers and and bring it in and just, you know, open the card, see who it's from and, and what's going on, because Her neighbor had uh, just lost their dog, like their family pet, long-time family pet, and you know what that's like when you have a a dog or a pet and you lose it. It's like losing part of your family. And so, sure enough, someone had sent them a bouquet of flowers saying, "I'm sorry that your pet died, that your dog died." And so, had my mom open it up and want to know, you know, which friend this was from, and it was actually a surprise. It wasn't from anyone that they knew. Um, it was from the company named Chewy. You guys know what Chewy is? It's uh, they do stuff for animals. You can buy dog food or dog treats from there. They'll deliver it to your home. And so they had uh, a recurring subscription for dog food. And my mom's neighbor had called uh, and said, "Hey, you know, we had a death and my, our dog died. and need to, you know, stop the subscription. We just got a, a load of food. Can we send that back to you?" And, and the folks at Chewy said no keep the food Uh, no charge to you in fact take it to a shelter or something give it to someone that can use it which is a really nice thing to do and then they sent them this beautiful bouquet of flowers to say we're sorry for the loss of your pet Um, it was unexpected I didn't know that was going to happen you know now skeptics would say that's a shrewd business move you know this do this and people probably talk about it maybe even church somewhere they might do that right Um, or They just might really love pets, and this is a loving thing to do. I choose to to think that that's what happened. Um, But it was this unexpected, uh, unmerited gift, right, sharing favor with this family, and it meant a lot to them. And I just wonder, in your life, has, has anything ever like that happened where someone showed you... Uh, A lot of love and you weren't expecting it. Something that they did for you that was a surprise and you really appreciate it. Maybe they sent you a meal, maybe they bought you a ticket somewhere, uh, you know, like a game or something. You know, somebody showed you some grace, uh, a surprise, something that you didn't expect. Maybe you didn't even deserve it, right? How, How did that make you feel? Or maybe in your life, have you ever done that for somebody? You know that someone's in a bad spot, and you want to do something nice for them, and it just out of the blue, you you do that. Or maybe you just want to share your love, maybe with your neighbor, or take something to your teacher at school, or somebody that you work with. Have you ever, you know, surprised somebody in an unexpected way, and they felt good about that, right? When we do that, that also makes us feel really good. Well, today we're going to talk about what God does for us in, in a very similar way. God does great things for us, and sometimes that's very unexpected. Sometimes we get good things from God even when we don't deserve it, right? The word for that is grace, God's unmerited favor. God does something for us when we don't deserve it, when we don't expect it. Today, we're going to be focusing on grace. Now, I'm going to give you guys a little quiz. We're doing a song of the day, Bible Truths and the song uh, that we love, we're talking about grace. We're in the traditional worship service. What song do you think we might be talking about today? Any guesses? Amazing Grace, that's right. right? Amazing Grace. This is, a, this is a truly an amazing song. It was written by a man named John Newton. We've got a picture of him. Uh, back in uh, 1772, right? the, the lyrics were, that's, that's even older than America. Right? 1772, John Newton was in his late 40s. He lived to be uh, up into his early 80s, so he's a little past midlife when he writes this song, Amazing Grace, uh, that many of us know and, and love as followers of Jesus, but even people outside of the church have probably heard the song Amazing Grace. Maybe at a funeral, maybe at a wedding, something like that. It's probably the most sung song in the Christian tradition. It's probably sung millions of times a year all around the world, Amazing Grace. Even people who don't follow Jesus know about amazing grace. I was doing some research on this song for this message today and found some even funny things about it. I went on to, like, uh, the Internet and I Googled, like, amazing grace meme, you know, Emmy, Emmy, those pictures with funny captions on them. And some things that came up was, well, who is this grace and what's so amazing about her, right? Thinking that grace is a woman, uh, so what's so amazing about grace, uh one of the lyrics is i once was lost but now i'm found and it had a picture of waldo you guys know who waldo is it's a children's book and you you try to find this little character his name's waldo it's called where's waldo and so they had a picture of waldo i once was lost now i'm found get it's kind of funny but anyway uh so uh even when i was in youth group we used to have this thing anybody ever see the tv show gilligan's island like this is this is dating me like way back these seven castaways get shipwrecked on this island they were going for a three-hour tour do you remember the theme song for that i'm gonna butcher it here ready right just sit right back and you hear a tale a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship right okay do you know you can sing amazing grace to that Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Y'all make it sound a lot better than me. I appreciate that. That's our choir right there. So let's, We used to sing that in youth group, right? right. So we don't know what uh, John Newton's original tune was. We don't have that written down. Uh, John Stafford, who is our director of traditional uh, music here in worship uh, and our organist, uh, said that it's on a five-note scale. That's similar to the song, Ezekiel Saw the Wheel, that we started out this series with. If you missed that, you can go and watch that on our website. Uh, It might have been had that African spiritual feel to it, we're not sure. But later in the 1800s, the tune that we have now is called New Britain, uh, was the tune that was assigned to the song, and that's the song that that we sing. uh, We'll we'll sing that later today, and so that's the song that we're familiar with. But John Newton, right? So now John Newton wrote this amazing song, Uh, probably sung more than any song in Christian history. Um, Would it surprise you that John Newton was not a good person for most of the first part of his life? He was not a good person. Um, He grew up not really in a very religious uh, practicing household. Uh, His mom died at an early age. His dad was a sailor, was out at sea when his mom died. Um, He had a a distant stepmom that sort of raised him. He also went to boarding school and had some less than good experiences there. He had some near-death experiences. He got into all kinds of trouble and uh, just escaped those things by the skin of his teeth. Uh, He later joined the Navy. He might have been forced to join the Navy, actually. Uh, And eventually, he began to make money off of the slave trade. He would buy men, women, and children in Africa and sell them uh, to the Americas. And so uh, he did one of the most evil things in the history of the world buying and selling people as if they were cattle or objects to be sold. And later in his life, he would grow to regret that. One day he was out on a ship and a big storm came up and it washed some of his crewmates overboard and they drowned and he was freaking out and he was scared and so he just cried out to God, God, have mercy on me and save us. And miraculously, the ship was saved. He and the rest of his crewmates were saved And long story short, eventually he surrendered his life to God, he became a priest, and eventually he became an abolitionist, and he fought against slavery. He fought against what he was doing previously in his life, and he credits the change in his life to God, that God got through to this man, this slave trader, and it changed his life, and he wanted to write down what he felt about his life. He wanted to write down what he felt about us. Have you ever felt like John Newton? That you're just not worthy of anything good. That you're going down the wrong path. That, that, that you're just not living a moral life. That there's just a lot of bad things happening in your life. right? And Wouldn't you like John Newton like a lifeline? That God would reach out and come into your life and save you from whatever it is that's dragging you down. So John Newton... Went from being a sinner to, like, a winner, right? Through the power of God, and he wanted to write it down. And that's where we got this amazing song from. So let's look at the words that John Newton wrote for this hymn, Amazing Grace. Right, Grace is God's undeserved favor, unmerited favor. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? A wretch, I traded people, I sold, bought and sold people. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see, right? Not literally blind, but blind to the good things in life, chasing the wrong things in life, right? It grace that taught my heart to fear. I need to respect God, right? And grace, my fear's relieved, right? I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear hell anymore because God is with me. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Remember, he had all these near-death experiences, almost drowned in the sea, right? Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Grace is getting me through my life. Grace will lead me into the eternal kingdom of heaven after I die. The Lord has promised good to me, right? Life to the full now on this earth. Right? Good things to happen to us now as well as in heaven later. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be. God shields me. God provides for me as long as my life endures. And yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, right when I die, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. Right? I will move into the next life. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. And now this last verse, this is verse 7, probably not written by John Newton, added later, but it still fits the song very well. This is talking about when we are in heaven, later with God, the new heaven, the new earth. When we've been there for 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun... We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun, right? We get to celebrate with God in eternity, right? So this amazing song, amazing grace, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Have you ever felt like John Newton headed down the wrong path and you need something to intervene, to point you in the right direction, to pick you up, let you know that you are important to God and that better things await? I think that's why we resonate with this song so much because all of us have been there at some point in our lives where we feel wretched. We feel like uh, we've been through dangers and toils and snares, and we need some help from God. So I want to unpack what this grace looks like. And before we can really dig into what grace is, I think we need to know why we need grace. We understand like sometimes we feel wretched, sometimes we feel lost, sometimes we feel blind. Right? Sometimes we're facing dangers and toils and snares. Um, so why do we need grace? Well, Let's go to the Bible and see why we might need grace. Let's start in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, where God is creating the earth. right? And this is some good stuff about us. So God created humankind in God's own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God created Adam. God created Eve. God created you, God created me in God's image. That means that there is something good inside of all of us. There's goodness in every one of you, right? Not only are you good looking on the outside, right? God's image is more than outward appearance. God's image is about we can be like God, we can love like God, we can create like God, we can create with God. We can forgive like God, that there's something divine inside of you, and there is a lot of goodness in your life. Now, sadly, there are a lot of churches that focus on only the bad stuff. I want you not to miss, there's a lot of goodness in you. You're created in the image of God. Now, what happens with Adam and Eve? What happens with us? We're created in God's image. God gives us the freedom to choose how we're going to live our lives. And sometimes we choose well, and sometimes we choose poorly. Sometimes we make decisions that hurt other people, and sometimes we make decisions that hurt us, right? Adam and Eve disobeyed God, right? God gave them the, the Garden of Eden, could, could do anything they wanted to. God said, just don't do one thing, right? Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? What do, you, what do human beings do when they tell them not to do the one thing, right? They do the one thing, right? So Adam and Eve ate of it, right? And so what happened was Adam and Eve missed the mark, they missed the mark that God had set, and the word the Bible uses is sin. Right, so missing the mark, not doing the right thing, making the wrong choice, right, is sin that comes into the world, right. And so the image of God that created that we're created in is still there, but it's kind of like uh, it, it's smeared, right? It's stained with sin, right? So we're in God's image, we also have this this sin, right, that we inherit from Adam and Eve, but we also choose it for ourselves. And when we do wrong, and we hurt ourselves, we hurt other people, there are consequences. We experience guilt. We experience shame. Adam and Eve were naked. Nothing was wrong until they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now they're embarrassed. They're hiding behind leaves and stuff, right? They feel ashamed of who they are. They also had access to the, the tree of life, which meant they could live forever. But now, because of their sin, they're cut off from that. So you and I are going to die one day, right? So that's a consequence of sin, And we also have broken relationships with God, broken relationships with each other, right? Separation, another word for that is hell, You don't have to die to go to hell. You can have hell in this world when you're in broken relationships, when you're separated from healthy relationships. So sin enters the world, guilt, shame, death, and hell. That's why we need grace, We're creating God's image. That image is stained. There's a lot of consequences we're dealing with. And God said, this is not what I want and I'm not going to give up on people and so I'm going to send my son Jesus into the world and he's going to make it right we're going to use grace to win people back Okay, so so we saw that let's see the next passage of scripture this is Paul he wrote most of the New Testament talking about sin therefore just as sin entered the world through one man one woman Adam and Eve and death came from sin and in this way death came to all people because all sin right we all face sin right this is what God's going to do about it, right? John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God sent Jesus to save us. God is for us, not against us. God is not here to condemn us. God is for us, right? A lot of us think the world's against us. The universe is against us. God must be against us. God is not against you. God is for you. God sends Jesus into the world to save us, to make things right, to defeat sin and guilt and death and hell. All that stuff Jesus defeats when he dies on the cross and he comes back to life, right? So God is for us. And God is for us through the power of grace. Okay, God's undeserved favor for us. God loves us. He sees us created in his image. He wants to restore that image fully in us and get that stain away. So now we receive grace. And as Methodists who read the Bible, that's our denomination, we see that grace comes to us, this amazing grace, comes to us in three ways. The first way... Is called prevenient grace. Now, this is a fancy word. Some of y'all are going to say, "Pastor Kyle, I've read the Bible my whole life, and I've never seen the word prevenient in the Bible. So, where are you coming up with this fancy word, right?" Prevenient is a Latin word that means to come before. Okay, prevenient grace means this: God works in our lives before we know God. Okay, we don't know God yet, right? If we're walking around in sin, right? A lot of us don't know God yet, so. God has to make the first move God is at work in our lives Before we know God It's like we have a secret admirer Who's doing good things for us And he wants to get caught right? God's doing things in our lives For us And he wants to get caught Anything good that happens to us in our life Is a, is a result from God working in our lives right? God gives us things Before we know who God is Let's look at this in scripture okay? Check this out And, and by the way Look up any of these scriptures. I invite you to look them up, go to the the passage, go to the chapter, go to the verse, read the verses around it. Read it in context, right? This is important stuff right out of the Bible, right? Paul says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What Paul's saying is you can see God in nature. You can see God in the sunset. You can see God in the ocean. You can see God at work in the world. You can see God's power. You can look around into the universe and the stars and say, there must be something bigger than me at work. That's God, provenient grace, working in our lives to say there's a lot of goodness. I've given you a lot of goodness even before you know who I am. God's at work in our lives before we know who God is. Let's keep going. Jeremiah. This is what God says to Jeremiah, who was a prophet, a spokesperson for God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was born, God had great plans for his life. Before he was even conceived, before he was even in the womb, God had plans for Jeremiah. I wonder... What is God's plan for you, brothers and sisters, that God had in mind before your parents even met each other, before your parents even connected, right? Before you were born, God knew who you were. God was at work in your life saying, I'm going to bring goodness into your life. I invite you to think about that. What's your purpose? Why are you here? What gifts and skills and abilities do you have to make the world a better place? God is at work in your life before you even know it. How might God be working in your life right now and you're not even aware of it? It excites me. It excites me. What's God going to do for me and for my family, for our church, for our community if we choose to receive God in our lives? What do you think God said about you before you were even born? God at work before we know God. All right, let's keep going. First John 4, 19. We love because God first loved us. Right? God made the first move. Jesus made the first move. Holy Spirit made the first move. God is at work in our lives before we know who God is. Right? In John 16, this is Jesus talking. He's talking about sending the Holy Spirit. Right? We believe in one God, three persons, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right? When the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Right? We are far from God before we know who God is. And so god's going to help us understand that right so the holy spirit comes into our lives before we know it right and the holy spirit helps us know that there's something missing right so when we do something wrong and we feel guilty about it we call that our conscience i think that's true but i also think that's the holy spirit saying there's a better way for you to live your life right we go through our lives and 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 we we have families and friends and jobs and we're doing great things and, and all that is good stuff but But there's still something inside of us that's restless and missing, right? Until we have God inside of us, we are going to be restless. And we're going to be chasing after things, right? And so the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and says, there's something more to life. You need me in you, right? It's this craving. It's this hole inside of us. And so the Holy Spirit is drawing us to God. And at some point, we're going to hear about God. Maybe someone invites us to church. Maybe we hear something on the radio. Maybe we read the Bible, right? God's going to send us a message, and God's going to get through to us, whether it's through nature, whether it's through the Bible, whether it's through another person, through our conscience, right? God is our admirer, and he wants to get caught, and he wants to be in a relationship with us. Let me ask you a question. When did God first get your attention? When did God first get your attention? And how did he do it? Was it with another person? Was it with something you read? Was it a worship service? Was it a beautiful song? When did God first get your attention? And if that's not happened yet, maybe God put me and this scripture and this church in your life right now to get your attention. When did God first get get your attention how did God first get your attention what was your response prevenient grace God working in our lives before we know who God is so what happens next with grace we call justifying grace God gets our attention and we some way somehow hear about the good news of Jesus Christ okay justifying grace God restores us into a right relationship with God. Remember, we're created in God's image. That's good. That image of God is stained. We make bad decisions, sin, guilt, hell, all that kind of stuff. Jesus comes to restore us in a right relationship with God. Okay? All right, so let's look at some scripture here, Romans 3, 23, 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified, right? Justified. We're made right with God, freely by his grace— something he gives us that we don't deserve, forgiveness. Through the redemption, right, Jesus buys us back from sin, from death, from hell, that came by Jesus Christ. To be justified means to be made right with, Christ, with God. Right? And this is what Jesus does. When he dies on a cross, this is an innocent man, this is God himself, he takes your sin and my sin, your guilt and your shame, my guilt and my shame, Your death and your hell, my death, my hell on himself. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is God. He is a sacrifice. He sacrifices himself for us on the cross. And when he comes back to life, he has defeated sin and guilt and shame and death and hell. He takes it all away. And instead, he gives us life to the full now, life forever in the kingdom of heaven. He gives us joy and inner peace and love, and peace, and forgiveness, right, that's what Jesus does, that's what he did on the cross, he does that, he makes things right between us and God, it's like he bails us out of jail, right, he, or he goes to jail on behalf of us when he hasn't done anything wrong, right, Jesus takes our place, he makes things right, right, let's see what's keep going, right, so in the book of Acts, Peter preaches this to people, right, thousands of people, Right, and when the people heard this, they were cut to their heart. Right, this Jesus did this for me and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right, so when we hear this message, and we hear that Jesus has, has died for us and come back to life, what do we do? It says, Repent. Right, what does repent mean? It means to turn around, literally to turn around right before we know God we're going down a life of sin and death and hell right we find out who Jesus is what he did for us on the cross we turn around and we say Jesus thank you I wanna leave my life of sin behind I wanna leave the death and hell behind I believe in you forgive me please come in me and give me that grace right so Jesus is the main actor but we have to make a conscious choice to invite Jesus into our lives, right? We repent. And then it says to be baptized. What does it mean to be baptized, right? It's where we take the water and we put it on someone and it symbolizes Jesus washing us clean of our sin, our guilt, our shame, our death, and our hell, right? When people are immersed in water and they come up like out of a river or swimming pool, what that symbolizes is we die to our old selves of sin and we're reborn into life in Jesus, right? So baptism is a symbol of what jesus does for us through justification okay more words about justification right so justifying grace god restores us into right relationship with god this is possible because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross we don't earn this this is a gift to us right we're justified by grace through faith right jesus is free gift to us and we Return that, right, by believing in Jesus, that he died for us and he came back to life. We're we're made right with God through Jesus' grace and our faith in that. We make a conscious decision to follow Jesus, right? So we hear all this stuff, we surrender to Jesus like those people in Acts did, we give ourselves to Christ, and then this is what happened. Justification is an event. It's the moment that you surrender to Jesus, right? We have a lot of words for that. New birth, regeneration, conversion, born again, saved, atonement. I was born again. I've been saved. I'm atoned. I'm at one with God, right? It's a point in time where you receive Jesus Christ, right? And we're given power over sin, right? The guilt of sin is taken away. Once we've become justified, we're not dominated by sin anymore. Sin does not control us. Sin is not our master. We can say no to sin. Right? We might want to punch somebody in the face. We might want to cuss somebody out. We might want to cheat on our spouse. We might want to cheat on our taxes. But now that we've been justified by God, right, we have power not to do that. We can walk away. We can do the right thing because it's Christ who lives in us. Look at these scriptures here. This is, this is good stuff. For sin no longer is your master. Jesus is your master. Right? Because you are not under the law, you're under grace. You don't have to sin anymore, right? doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. We're not going to be perfect yet, right? But we have moved from sinner to winner, right? Our identity has changed. Look at this, right? Uh, James 4, 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Who's the devil, right? It's a fallen angel, we believe. It's a fallen angel. He symbolizes, right, Evil in the world. A lot of us are are worried. Evil is so powerful, I can't resist the temptation to do wrong things. James says, yes, you can. Seek God and resist evil, resist the devil, and they will flee from you. You have power over sin. Power over sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. I have a lot of people say to me, I'm just a sinner, Pastor Kyle. You're not a sinner if you've received Jesus as your Savior. You're not. You're a winner. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you. Right? We have a new identity. Right? Look at this next passage. Right? Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The believers... In Jesus, in the New Testament, are not called sinners. They're called saints, right? Because Jesus lives in us. We are a new creation. Sin is not our master. Jesus is our master, right? It is an identity shift, right? It's an identity shift, right? It's like when a boy becomes a man, a girl becomes a woman, right? It's when um, uh, Bryce Young, right, left college football. He became a Carolina Panther. He's no longer a college player. He's a professional player. He's on a professional team, right? If you're a great musician, right, and you join the symphony, right, you have a new identity, right? You're a musician, but you're part of something bigger than yourself. Your identity has changed. We move from sinner to winner. We move from sinner to saint, not because of what we have done or what we're doing, but because Jesus is our master, and we have power over sin, Right? That is powerful stuff, okay? When were you justified in your faith? When were you saved? When were you born again? When did you give your life to Jesus? Think about that moment and be glad. For some of us, we can say the day and the hour and the minute and where we were... You know, i was in prison i was having a drug overdose i gave my life to christ i was at a revival and the preacher was preaching and they sang amazing grace and i came down and I, I gave my life to jesus right some of us have those moments right it's a moment in time where jesus justifies us and for some of us we probably can't tell you when we might have grown up in church we've always been worshiping god we've been in sunday school jesus has always been our guy right And we can't tell you the moment of time, but we have given our lives to Jesus. And it's okay if you don't know that exact moment, right? But it is a moment in time. I grew up in the church. I I always have had Jesus in my life. But I I can say, you know, in my life for me is when I was 13 years old. I can remember where I was. I gave my life to Christ. Right? I remember that. Where were you when you gave your life to Jesus? When were you justified by the power of the grace of and if it hasn't happened yet, I invite you maybe to think about that and open yourself to know that God loves you and wants you to be justified, to be made right with God. Right? So that's the second phase. So what happens next? Now, now, Pastor, you say I'm not a sinner anymore, but I sure do some sinful things. And I think of some sinful things in my life. And so what does that mean? How can I be justified and still do sinful things in my life? Now, here's the thing, right? Our identity has changed but we still have room to grow, right? Just like Bryce Young is the quarterback for the Panthers, his identity is different, he's not a college player, he's a pro player, he's a Panther, he's different. But if you watched him play yesterday, there's some room for growth, right? Especially for his offensive line. They have a lot of room to grow, right? If you make the symphony, right, you still have to practice and you can still grow in in what you do, right? And so for the rest of our lives, God helps us grow in our holiness. This is called sanctifying grace. Let's look at this. The Holy Spirit works in us to make us holy. What does it mean to be holy? To be like Jesus. It means to be set apart. That we're different. That God has plans for us to be good. Right? Sanctification is a process. It's going to be the rest of our lives. Right? Justification is a moment we're saved and from that very moment on the Holy Spirit's with us and helps us become more like Jesus, right? We're giving power over sin, especially inner sin, right? Remember I said you want to punch somebody in the face, but you don't have to punch somebody in the face. You want to cuss somebody else, but you don't have to cuss somebody else. You, you won't have these lustful feelings for somebody. You want to act on that, but you don't act on that. Now the Holy Spirit goes to work on what's happening inside of us so that it's less often that we want to punch somebody in the face. It's less often that we want to cuss somebody else. It's less often that we feel tempted by our neighbor in the yoga pants who's running down the street when we're married, right? The Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, folks, y'all live in the real world, right? It's true, right? The Holy Spirit works inside of us to make us more like Jesus. Because when you spend more time with Jesus, you start to act more like Jesus. You start to look more like Jesus, right? But Let me be clear. We don't earn our way into into heaven. We don't earn our way into salvation. All we have to do is, is received justification, right? Sanctification is like icing on the top. We grow closer to God, we grow in holiness for the rest of our lives. Let's see what it says in Scripture about being sanctified. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, right? Become like Jesus. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus when he comes back, okay? Let's keep going. And this is is a hard verse to read. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's Jesus' words to us. Now, I don't think Jesus means be flawless. I think we're going to make mistakes along the way. But perfection means that we are mature in our faith. We've come a long way with our outward sin and our inward sin. We've grown in that, right? We also think about... Perfection, right? Heaven's a perfect place. How are we going to be perfect in heaven if we're not perfect now? We believe the Holy Spirit will make us flawless when we die and get into heaven. But on this earth, right? Perfection means mature, right? We have a better grip on our outward sin, better grip on our inward sin, right? Uh, Paul writes these words Being confident of this, that Jesus, who began a good work in you, created you in his image died for you on a cross justified you is sanctifying you he will carry it on to completion right? Jesus is working in each of us to make us holy to grow in holiness right? we're saints we still have some sin clinging to us that we need to work on right? so there's really two types of repentance Right. the first repentance is repentance of our lifestyle we went from sinner to winner Right. so we're new identities change Right. But those specific sins that cling to us, that we, we each have sins that we really wrestle with, right? I'm not gonna ask you to stand up and say what your sin is today. I'm not gonna tell you mine either. Uh, you probably guessed though. So, y'all know me pretty well. But uh, right, the, other, the next phase of repentance is, is asking for forgiveness for specific sins that are still hanging around. But we're saints. We're a new creation. We're with Jesus. We have been changed. So here's a question for you. Where are you in the sanctification process. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you've been saved by the power of God, if you have been justified by by your grace through your faith, what does sanctification look like? How are you walking with the Holy Spirit now? And that's why we're here at church, right? We we want to grow in this together. Right? So that's a lot about grace today. Um so what's the big idea? What's the point? I'm just going to make it easy because I think it is. It's the first verse of this hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life that I feel that I'm so far from being good and so far from being a godly person that I just think that I'm a wretch and there's no way that God loves me. Pastor Kyle, I read what you say, I hear about John Newton, but you don't know me and my life and what I've done, and the guilt and the shame that I carry around. This can't be good news for me. Well, I understand what you're saying, but you're mistaken. If God can forgive John Newton of buying and selling men and women and children to be dispersed from their families, whipped on their backs, working for no money for the rest of their lives, raped, right, if God can forgive John Newton for doing that, God can forgive you for whatever it is that you're wrestling with. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So I invite you to consider two action steps. Receive God's grace, provenient, justifying, and sanctifying, and share God's amazing grace. I want you to think about something. You might be God's prevenient grace for someone in your life. God might need you to be the agent that's working in someone's life before they even know that God's at work. You might be the agent for God with your neighbor. You might be the agent for God with your spouse. You might be the agent for God with your classmates or your schoolmates, right? For the people who live in these apartments, right? Receive God's grace. Receive God's grace. Grow in God's grace but also share God's grace. You might be God's prevenient grace for someone else. I'd like to invite John and the choir to come up uh, and sing Amazing Grace, and as they do, I just invite you to think in your life right now. Where are you in the grace process? Is it prevenient for you right now? Are you considering justifying grace, surrendering to Jesus? Have you surrendered to Jesus and you're growing in your faith, you're growing holy and sanctifying grace? Where are you in that? As the choir comes to sing, let's just give God thanks and praise that we have this gift of amazing grace.